This is Trav. And we don't have anybody else because those lazy bums didn't come to Gen Con. <laughs> Welcome to the TriTac Games Podcast. This is our post-Gen Con report on how TriTac Games did at Gen Con. Now, TriTac did not have a booth at Gen Con, so we can't get any kind of feedback about that. We're hoping that the demos that we ran might have driven some sales, but mostly we just wanted to make sure that people always see uh, TriTac Games products being in the event catalog so they know that TriTac Games is still there. Well, yeah, because I often remark that TriTac Games is role-playing's best-kept secret, even though the company's been around for 35-plus years. So right. that presence there is a good thing if only if you know we go there and say, okay, yeah, we're still here. Right. And I personally don't think that being a, a secret when it comes to being in a game company is a good thing. We've been trying over the years to get more visibility on Facebook, and I think we have gotten some. But, and I'm just hoping that every year we get new people who've never heard of us. So I'm hoping, you know, as, as time goes on, that we keep seeding this back into the gaming community that they hear about us or hopefully even try listening to us on the TriTac Games podcast. Well, what I mean by best kept secret is that TriTech, I mean, we both know that there is a hardcore fan element to the games. People have been playing them for ever since the first editions of Bureau 13 and Fringe, where they come out. And they're still doing it today, even up into the D20 and they've helped play test the Savage Worlds Fringeworthy that we've been exhibiting. So yeah, it's got that hardcore fan base, but yeah, we're trying to boost the signal, as they say, among the Broncos. Sure. Also, I have with me my co-host on the Travcast and also Dementia Radio's newest DJ. Uh, she's pertinent tonight because, well, one, I'm recording from her place. And well, two, you have better be pertinent because of that. Yeah. And also, she is the woman who created the game, one of the two games that I ran at Gen Con this year. My dear friend, Gina Osborne, a.k.a. Perky Goth. Hello, everyone. Welcome, Perky Goth, to the TriTag Games Podcast. Yes. Thank you. I feel very welcome. Excellent. How many games did you run, Bruce? I ran three games. Okay. Fringeworthy, I ran Bureau 13, and I ran Hardwired Interland. Oh, okay. I didn't know you ran out. Okay. Let's see. I ran a Fringeworthy game and, well, the Maze World game, which is it's Fringeworthy, but we're putting a different spin on it. and We might be able to explain it later. But yeah, uh, I ran the sequel to my game last year, basically The Fringes of Valerian 2. That one had just the one one player, so I ran a solo game. Now, Bayes World, I had four players there. You saw them. I mean, they were 
four, uh, one of them was from Alabama and the other three were buddies from St. Louis. And that you saw how well it was received. I mean, they were quite. They were having a great time. Yeah, they, they were quite into it, you know, because I gave decent background on the characters and they they got into them pretty well. I was impressed. The one player was in your one game that I sat in on. I believe his name was Donald. He found me out, and so he came that. So I would have liked more players for the Princess of Galarian, too, but, I mean, both games went off fine. Yours, I was there for part of Deutschland Uber Alice. That was the Fringeworthy one, and that was Peter Bryant's scenario that I was running, uh, that he had run the previous year at either uh, Dragon Con or Gen Con. I can't remember which. He might run it at both. Yeah, probably. I think he did mention that he was going to run them at both, yeah. And, and I do that, too. I, every game that I run at Gen Con, I run at Dragon Con, because at Dragon Con, I'm required to do six games to get the, the badge that I get for three games at Gen Con. <laughs> so I, there's no reason for me to run six more games, since a lot, most people don't go to both. They usually go to one or the other. Yeah, yeah. I, I was told that Dragon Con I would not survive. So yeah, I'm just <laughs> no, no, no. Indianapolis is far south, south enough for me. Yeah. <laughs> well, Dragon Con is a huge convention squashed into half the size of Gen Con. Basically, it's the size of Gen Con is squashed into a space half that size. So of course, it's it, there's this uh, serious hydraulics that happens there that, uh, you know, uh, we, we, they, they keep acting as if uh, fire uh, uh, marshal rules are, uh, <laughs> you know, are, are not so stringently important, but they are. And uh, I'm not saying, uh, uh, if Dragon Con is listening, I'm not saying that you don't follow uh, <laughs> uh, fire laws. I'm just saying is, is that that many people, there's things that can happen. They're in one of those uh, impossible situations where they're not big enough to go to, to the truly large venues, you know, where you need like 100,000 people, you know, and they're too big for the smaller venues. So this pretty much where they are is where they kind of have to stay. Just the way it is. Yeah, Gen Con this year, from what I heard, got 45,000-plus people, which is an increase from the 41,000 last year. So Yeah, it definitely there was more people walking around, I could tell. I guess. <laughs> no, like I last year, like I deduced, the three things you do at Gen Con, walking, gaming, and spending lots of money. <laughs> well, another thing that Gen Con did was is they went to a totally uh, 24, well, not seven, because it doesn't run that long, but 24-hour format. So that a lot of those people could get spread out over a wider area. Not necessarily everybody was in the same place. I think that's why my Maze World game kicked in at the last moment because of the fact that they went to that format. Because I got info for that two weeks before the con. Literally, two Fridays before this past one. And of course, I'm there because I wrote the game off. I hadn't got information. I said, eh, fine, I'm not going to run it. Then all of a sudden oh, crap, i got to plan the second game now as well as finish up planning the first one. So it, it just, oh, man. So I think that might have been what did it was the fact that they went to this open all night type of schedule. And it, it, it worked. Hey, I mean, at 11 o'clock on Saturday night, the hallways were still quite full because I went there with, I was there with Habibi, my radio wife and everything, my best friend. And she was there at the Magic tournaments until easily 12, 15, 12, 30 in the morning. Right. Let's talk about uh, how you did. What did you think about your game sessions and how did they go? 
Okay, the Maze World one, which I ran from Friday 4 to 9, it went quite well. Uh, thank you again for the, the dry race mat and the, the marker, the use of that. I made the character sheets. I wrote up a page description of background and personality traits and also what augmentations the characters had upon awakening in the Maze World. And so they took to them. They Everything kicked in just fine with them. They didn't have any... Uh, discrepancies. Two of them, I think, weren't really familiar with Pathfinder. Right. You were using Pathfinder rules, right? Yeah. Yeah. It just, it's a lot cleaner than D20. And I'm in the process of converting the last of my three regular campaigns to Pathfinder. We're going to be doing that matter of fact next game session this coming Friday. So yeah, it, the, as I said, there was the one kid who had the, the hat, he was from Alabama and the other three were St. Louis. The one that was sitting at my far right was kind of iffy on Pathfinder's rules. So the other two gladly helped him because it looked like they were all from the same gaming group. So that flowed fine. And I don't require a knowledge of the rules in the games that I run. If they don't know something, I'm more than willing to let them know. Thankfully, they, the other two friends of the person who played uh, Ziva, the Mossad investigator, as I said, they just all helped each other out. It was really good. Uh, the game ran right until nine o'clock. I didn't have, you know, a problem with running over or falling short. So that all worked out. That was 10-8 straight there. The Fringes of Galarian game, as I said, I only got the one player, Donald, who was at one of your games. Uh, I ended up actually ending up wrapping up that one an hour early just because... They completed what needed to be done, and he and I talked for a little bit and talked mostly about TriTac and what new stuff was coming out. I do wish I could have got more players for that. That that was my only thing. I mean, I have no problem running the solo game, and he had generic tickets, but yeah, that was my one beef. I wish I could have got more players for the second game. So, yeah, other than that, my game running experience was fine. Yeah, there weren't any hitches or anything. I mean, we had some scheduling conflicts in the room itself Friday night. But, yeah, nothing wrong with my game. It, 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 everything was pretty smooth. Yours? How? I mean, the, the one I sat in, Deutschland Oberalis, seemed to be going pretty well. Yeah, the uh, uh, Deutschland Oberalis is a scenario in which the team is going into a po slightly post-World War II alternate history where Germany successfully made the bomb first and basically bombed three major cities, Moscow, I guess London and New York City, and cowed the rest of the world into surrendering and going under the rule of the master race. And rather than being cut and dry, uh, they had an exploration team there trying to figure out what was going on, and what happened was that they came back with the information that Germany did bomb three cities because that's all the bombs they had. Uh, similar to what happened in the United States where we bombed two cities in Japan and said, okay, we're ready to bomb some more, but we didn't have any additional bombs. Thankfully, they, well, they were in no condition to call our bluff. So, yeah. Right. Well, but the point is, is that that's the situation. However, they do have a plutonium extraction enrichment 
plant under a castle in Germany. The idea here was for uh, the team to come into contact with the French underground and go in there and maybe put a stop to that so that to break the hold of the Third Reich on the world. There were some moral issues about that, you know, first contact, kind of like, do we really have a right to go in there and change this this world's history? However, French underground had basically kept one of the previous uh, team who'd been completely destroyed members alive, and so it was considered a moral uh, obligation to go in and help them. Well, yeah. That's the way Peter wrote it, and I'm not saying any differently. Destroy the installation and hopefully rescue the scientists or kill the scientists so that the uh, so Germany could not have any more nuclear program. Yeah. So that, that was the scenario, and the guys seemed to catch on pretty well. They had a really fun a couple of battles. It went really, really well all the way to the very end where they did something crazy. Oh. <laughs> and uh, the end result was that only half the team survived, and then I did something crazy, which I thought was justified by what the people were doing, and they all just kind of looked at me across the table, and they said, you know, what you doing, Willis? I mean, what, is, <laughs> what were you thinking when you did that? I said, well, I thought it was justified. And I, I probably should have just said, okay, fine, rewind. Okay, starting there again, you just go ahead and work it to the end. But I did, and I was, because I was really close to the end, and I was, I, I, we needed to stop. So, but uh, I, I'm going to do, I promise I'm going to do a better job at Dragon Con. <laughs> but, it, you know, it's, it's one of those things where when you play somebody else's scenario, sometimes you kind of, you know, find yourself, going down corridors that weren't written, weren't described on the notes, you sometimes find yourself in a very strange and dark place. Well, the whole thing is, is that also you have to take into account that, you know, each set of players is going to do something different. Oh, yeah. Last year I ran the original Fringes of Galarian. It was down at PyCon, the free gaming convention down in Adrian College in Adrian, Michigan. Well, then I ran it at Gen Con last year, and yeah, different things happened. I mean, they kept most of what was going on, and I did no railroading. I didn't try to, you know, have them adhere to that script. But it pretty much went off as expected. It was a pretty linear adventure, and so that was that. But yeah, see, you can consider the Gen Con the dry run for Dragon Con. <laughs> yeah, I usually do. See, I usually come up with brand new adventures every year for Gen Con. And so, yes, Gen Con is my, is my dress rehearsal for Dragon Con. Not that I'm trying in any way downplay, because it, a, a dress rehearsal is supposed to be just like the real thing. It's just it's your last chance to make mistakes. And so that's that's what happened here, is that I, I ran into some stuff. And, and speaking of making mistakes... <laughs> when I ran my Hardwire Hinterland episode, which was called Murder at the Hermitage, when I had playtested it with my own group, I had noticed there was a problem in that it was running long, and that was because there was this little uh, part of it where they ran into a giant Yeti monster that you know they had to fight, and it literally took up about an hour's worth of time that really needed to be saved for the mystery part of the murder aspect. Okay. And unfortunately, this time I kind of threw it in there again, and sure enough, it took another hour, and we ended up running an hour long, So, uh, which my wife was very patient about, Wait, very patiently waited down in uh, Starbucks for me to finish up uh, my extra hour of, of, of work. 
But anyways, it was a great venture. They they went to this place where it was a school for gifted children, a, a 17th century uh, Russian island, you know, where everything was as if it was 17th century. These were like you know the top students, and all of a sudden. In the middle of it, the lights go out, and one of the uh, masters is killed, and they have to figure out who did it. It ended up getting very, very confused because they were also there to find out whether or not there were some fiscal improprieties going on. Before we were done with it, we had like three different crimes in operation. They were trying to solve simultaneously. Oh. And finally, one of the players said, okay, and he pulls out what well, we were using Steve Wallace's uh, Clockwork Drama Deck. Okay, yes. And he pulls out the card Silver Tongue, which says, you tell them any story you want and everybody believes it utterly. And he says, lo to you all, I am the Archangel Michael and you better start confessing your sins or I'm going to carry you all into hell right now. <laughs> and everybody dropped to their knees and started confessing their sins. And there were some pretty amazing ones. Between you know between the, the the masters and the students and and the priests and the and, and the sisters of, of the of the monastery, I mean it was it was like that scene in uh, the book uh, Clockwork Orange where they start telling uh, Nurse uh, Ratchet way too much uh, info for her to use. Uh, you mean one flew over the cuckoo's nest? Was that okay? I'm sorry. What, what did I say? Clockwork Orange. Clockwork Orange. You're right. One flew over the cuckoo's nest. Thank you very much for that save. Um, yeah. So <laughs> we're all looking at each other and like, okay, that's a lot of stuff. And, but so the the person who was guilty was actually somebody nobody had suspected. Oh, okay. <laughs> so they were they were real happy about the ending where they solved the mystery and all that, and that was the end. The last one I did was the Bureau 13 adventure that was published in Infinite Crossroads, but I had updated it for uh, the Savage Worlds, and it was Here There Be Monsters. Okay. And uh, that scenario was they go driving into this little mid. Uh, well, actually, I had it up in the uh, um, like Oregon uh, uh, country, uh, this this plateau town called Iron Flats. And they drive in this little town, and this guy stops them because he saw something really weird. He was afraid there was something going on. And before they know it, they're hip deep in werewolves and zombies and, and uh, vampires and, and who knows what else. And uh, <laughs> they're trying to solve all these problems and uh, loving the fact that they had all this really high-tech and uh, futuristic hardware to work with to solve all their problems. And they just ran around like crazy playing uh, John's uh, Team Candlestick with all their, their mages and psionicists and whatnot. He's got Fremont Eye of Candlestick. Oh, you're right. Okay. Uh, Fremont. Team Fremont. Yeah, we had a great time doing that. They all really loved it. That one, I was actually happy that was that scenario because we had a father there with like a you know 10 to 12-year-old daughter. So I was like... Okay, you know, I'm glad they're not there for the you know the murder one because there was some so salacious elements in that that I was glad I wasn't having to make it into something that could be uh, m uh, easily misinterpreted in a good way by a 12 year old. Parents, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, yes, yes. So, but she played the mage and she was zapping 
ice bolts, ice daggers at people and setting off electrical discharges and having just a great time with the, the warlock. All in all, it was a great three sessions. I ran them all at night because I'd had some issues with games early on not being attended. Yeah. And I really don't like doing a lot of work to prepare for a game and have no one show up. Right. At Dragon Con, that's sometimes nice because if there's like an 8 o'clock morning and no one shows up, I get to just kind of put my head down on the table and take another hour nap. <laughs> because if they don't show up, I still get credit for the four hours. Or yeah, just it's sleeping during a con? Come on. Yeah. Well, it's the whole one, two thing you know right right and that's pretty much what we did at gen con we basically got there pretty early uh, got back at about midnight had to be right back again so you know six hours was kind of a luxury for us a couple of times me and habibi because she was playing magic i was usually waiting for her because some of these tournaments that she was in would last until anywhere from 11 till let's see the one saturday we didn't get back to the hotel room to 1 30 but that's also because she got other cards and everything. And just, no, it was, we didn't roll back into town until 10 a.m. She's like, you're at 7.30? 7.30 is not a time. <laughs> She's a night owl, so she kind of had to have that disparate kind of schedule going. Yeah, well, I came in twice really early because I wanted to get some gaming in myself. See, you know, I don't want to just run games at Gen Con. I actually like to play games at Gen Con. And I got to do that. I got to run, uh, play two games. Uh, I played one game where I was a 14-year-old tomboy, was on her first dance uh, at the school. And uh, we got to, you know, do all kinds of cute anime type, you know, maneuvers, you know, <laughs> shy maneuvers on each other. And uh, apparently all of our boutonnieres were actually alien plants that were trying to take over the world. And they were like trying to grind their way into our bodies and take us over. You know, I, I had this thing say, you're in love with so-and-so. And then there were two slots. One is you want to hold his hands. And the second slot to be checked was want to go someplace dark and get close to him. <laughs> okay, now this is 14-year-old kids here. What kind of a game am I in? There was an evil alien influence. And it turned out that they liked dark places because they couldn't stand really bright lights. And so when we turned on all the fluorescence and used the spotlights in the dance, we were doing some, uh, some alien plant frying. So that worked out well. That whole scenario kind of reminds me of the whole Teenagers from Outer Space game. Uh-huh. a high school type game that, you know, the comic that Ben Dunn did years ago. And the RPG based on it. Yeah, yeah, Teenagers from Outer Space. Yeah, that's what it kind of reminded me of when as soon as you started talking to me about it right. at the time. Well, most of my experience with uh, at this point in my life with teenagers is actually from anime <laughs> because I don't want I can't watch those, you know, teen shows anymore because, you know, I just want to I just want to smack them. The Wizards of Waverly Place, uh, that which I'm all, I mean, if I name anything, I'm going to date myself. So I'm just saying is that there's a whole bunch of stuff. And also the fact that we have we don't watch broadcast television anymore. We w get everything off the Internet. So I never l luck into a, into a show like that. It, I only see the shows I want to see. So people have to tell me that there's this really good show for me to watch. But 
they're all the same. We all recognize the same scripts being retreaded again and again and again. So I don't have a whole big reason to watch them anymore. Um, let's see. My two games, Maze World, try to encapsulate it here. People from Earth wake up on a great featureless plane and see a wall in the distance. On that wall is an entrance. You don't see anything else on the plane. You go on the entrance on a metal grating staircase and you end up in a labyrinth. And, this la and you realize you're in a dream because you wake up and you're in the clothes you were in the previous day. Nothing else. You, know, you don't have weapons. You don't have car keys, wallet, nothing. Just in the clothing. And you end up in this labyrinth that, yeah, it weaves through in there 10 by 10 corridors, you know, 10 feet high, 10 feet wide. But where the confluences of the passages are, are all these other different realms. The five people that were playing, the, the five characters, uh, let's see. Weapon designer, former army major from Detroit. Female Mossad investigator. Biophysicist from Venice on the level of Degrassi Tyson. I played the NPC uh, Yanomami Shaman from the Amazon. We had a half-Somali, half-Korean assassin trained KGB. And then the other NPC, which I was playing anyways, if no one went to play the Shaman, was a dwarf who was a guide in this maze. So these modern-day humans are having to deal with monsters and dwarves and alternate dimensions and... It, it's all part of a much bigger plot that I didn't obviously need to get into at this time. But the characters each have been augmented. These these people have all have different superpowers, for lack of a better term. I mean, they're nothing grandiose. It's not like, you know, total weather control or... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But, like, one of them, the weapon designer had super intellect. The biophysicist had transmutation, which... Once the players started getting it, yeah, I just made a Desert Eagle, a Mossberg shotgun, and with the weapon designer's help, a plasma rifle. I'm like, and time just ran out where they didn't get to use the plasma rifle. That's a darn shame, Trav. Yeah, I know. Well, I the, the, they started talking, and it was two of the, the three from St. Louis. So they knew each other, and they were starting to rip off each other. I'm going, this could end up very good, or this could end up very bad. Which could also be very good. Yeah. Now, this adventure for Maze World was the one I ran a year and a half ago when myself, Perky Goth, her husband, Oz, and my now ex-girlfriend, Laura, when we started the campaign, where the, the, they all come down the, the, the stairs and they meet and they meet the dwarf, Neelis. Then they get taken to this sixth, late 16th century English village known as Hawksdale, where they get involved in an adventure. And instead of using the pre, the, the written adventure Jeremon's Orb from AEG, I decided to throw in a lower Melor, which they managed to, to, to take it out because they had the weaponry, but that assassin got more than a little messed up because he, oh yeah, I'm going to sneak up behind it. And it's like, well, yeah, you snuck up behind it. Problem is, yeah, you got close. Yeah. Now, the lower Melor, you're talking about the ones that actually can impersonate human beings, right? No, this one couldn't. I believe, let's see, there's Least, Lesser. Lesser. I believe it, was, it wasn't the low. It was the medium-sized one. It was the highest of the three CR8s. Okay, so it sounds like the low. And that one actually can impersonate a human, I believe. Not very well. It basically, it's good for looking like someone but not really knowing much of anything. You know, you're... I wanted to make it more 
fringeworthy-esque. I mean, in the main campaign, I've added some fringeworthy genes. As I said, usually Perky Goth and I would be sitting here plotting the next game, and we introduce fringeworthy into it. Rather slowly. Yeah, rather slowly. Well, I wanted to get more fringeworthy for people playing TriTac to know that, yes, it was a TriTac game. Right. And so I decided to add a Melor instead of the monster that was in the... Uh, but that was kind of my thing. When I created Mage World, you can adapt it. You can adapt the setting to anything. Yeah. Oh, no. We I've plugged in all sorts of game settings, and all of the Maze World worlds are on the fringe paths. It's just the portal is not anywhere really near them. So, you know, you could have two, a fringe party and a Maze World group, Interacting on the same world, same setting, just like on opposite sides of the planet. So the characters, yeah, they realize, okay, we're in an alternate dimension. One of them thought that they went back in time, but it's like, well, no, we've been traveling from world to world here. No, this is an alternate dimension. We're back in the 16th century. And I let them make history rolls and realize things like, there's a good chance that the Black Plague might have been through here. Because I did the research, and during that time, yeah, like oh, we've 15... Done so much research, it's not even... Oh, no, the, the, we've researched the crap out of this for this setting. Just And, yeah, the Black Plague was around in 1587. So there was that, and all of a sudden the biophysicists just had to look like, oh, no. <laughs> it's like no modern medicine, and we're here with this. Um, so that, that was that, and they got a sense that, okay, they're in something much bigger than themselves because first of all there's no real such thing as a shared dream five people from around the world are not going to have the same dream and interact with each other so they knew something else was going on now the fringes of galarian 2 game it was a i have astrolax the wizard and this is on the pathfinder world galarian it's the setting for the pathfinder role-playing game and astrolax is this ancient wizard who's been around for hundreds of years and he's basically picking fringe where they do missions for him. And these are all just normal adventures. All of a sudden, they're like, wait a minute. Where am I? They wake up on the platforms like, how did I end up here? And last year, they had to retrieve a key from a bandit lord that was actually a miller. This year, because the Numeria... I got it right here. Wait a minute. Let me get the name. Numeria Land of Fallen Stars came out along with the technology guide. And they were both available at the Paizo display and I got them I decided to have them go to Numeria and have to deal with high tech now the Numerian setting it was a barbarian land centuries ago a very large starship crashed all over the landscape so you have these barbarians but they got like nano fluids and laser pistols and there's some cybernetics and there's robots wandering the landscape and so it's a very big mix of savages and super science right Fringeworthy basically had to go and reactivate a starship that had a bad reactor. So they had to deal with radiation. They had to deal with robots on the ship. They had to deal with beings that were told not to mess with the ship all of a sudden coming. And basically, the one player was playing basically an African tribal native from a part of the inner sea called the Mwangi Expanse. May basically imagine African jungle with dinosaurs in it. So he's a jungle druid, and he's there because one of the NPCs had to basically put on their armor and jimmy the door shut so nothing could get in. So we have a PL-1 jungle native in a starship battle, basically rolling straight D20 rolls to <laughs> fire a, a gun turret. 
so <laughs> Donald and Jordy thought it was great. And I explained, it's like, well, this person's putting on their armor to defend you and they got the door jimmy. However, these ships are coming and we'll shoot you down. So <laughs> it's like, well, basically grab the joystick, hit that red button when you see the ship <laughs> appear in that red circle. And yeah, did it. And it worked out fine. And despite only having one player, I've never won a solo campaign at a, at a con before. So, so yeah. And of course, both of these are going to be campaigns. They will be sequels to both of these games just because they've been received so well. And I have no problem keeping running. Now, I, you said three games are needed in order to get the badge? Yes. Okay, so I might have to either come up with another game or run one game twice. Oh, twist my arm. Uh. Yeah, it's, it's 70 hours, which is if you have uh, six people in a four-hour game, that's uh, going to be 24 hours multiplied times three, 72 hours. Okay, all right. Oh, God, how many hours have we... No, no, I, I've lost count. Yeah, if you're like most developers, set thousands. Well, you were there when I read the 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 message that Gina had sent to my phone that I, she wanted me to read to the players. Yeah, and just see the fringes of glare, and that was all me. I made that up. Now I'm running somebody else's setting, so I was more than a little nervous because I wanted to convey the same wonder that I had felt running this campaign now for the past year and a half, and it's just grown into just something that we, we consider ourselves the parents of May's world because she's the one that came up with the idea and I plug in the rules. It's become just so much a part of our Monday because, you know, every Monday we're here planning this. And so I wanted to convey that same sense of just wonder and depth and you have a microcosm, yet there's this macrocosm that these characters are dealing with. So that was my thing. I wanted to do that, and it, it went off fine. You saw how the, the, the four guys were that reacted. They clicked right in and got into it, and there was no suspension of disbelief. No, that, that was fine. You know, the only thing I saw as an issue with your game was that it took them about an hour to actually get down the first hallway. And I thought that maybe that was kind of getting in the way of you bringing the awesome because I wasn't trying to railroad, and it's like, it's a maze. You have all these corridors, and Ziggy went off one way, and Barobi, you know, because the Yanomami are very misogynistic, so it's like, they'll sit there, and it's like, oh, God, a woman, I got to protect her, fine, because she won't be able to defend herself, and she's a scientist and all this. So Barobi and Vittori went off another way, and uh, Ghost and Zebra went the third way, and it's the whole never split the party. So I just sit there, and, you know, it's like the plates and the sticks trying to keep them all spinning. Right. Well, I, I would say that uh, my only suggestion is you should use the, uh, the, rule, the, the basic rule of thumb in gaming, which is that if you want somebody somewhere, blow something up. When Neelis came running around the corner with that rust monster chasing her, and then they knew that when they looked through the crack in the door, they knew hobgoblins were in that room. Well, they knew the enemies were there, and once everything, you know, once the, <laughs> once the two hobgoblins and the rust monster were there, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. You know, it's like they all decided, yeah. Yeah, hobgoblins wear armor. They don't like rust monsters either. Yeah, well, that's why when they saw it, they were like, you know, like, no, 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 no. Problem is they're getting beset on by a dwarf with an axe, a guy with a crossbow, some guy in darkness with two swords, and then a rust monster. And they were just, you know. And so, yeah, I it was a bit of a slow start, and we had the same problem in the original campaign. Because Ziggy and Barobi were, you know, being kind of macho, and so Ziba went off in her own direction, and then 
one group finds the hobgoblin, the other one finds Neelis and the rust monster, and we all sort of run into each other and we're kind of surrounded. Thankfully, I used far less of each than I did in the original campaign. Now, there's a movie, I saw a trailer for it, which involves a whole lot of people being finding themselves somewhere where there's this big maze and they have to explore it. We saw a trailer for that. Was there any influence there, or is this totally uh, parallel development? Even a book series. I think. Yeah, I didn't know of it either. Um, okay, bit of background on Maze World. Uh, myself, Oz, Gina, and Laura were at a club that was formerly a hotel, Leland City Club, downtown Detroit. We were there because a friend of mine, a band, the Gothsickles, and another band from Germany, Desector, that Oz wanted to see. So the four of us went. Well, Desector was wrapping up their set. Oz was there. Laura was draped over a couch out like a light. So Gina starts talking to me and comes at me with this idea about how long have you been gaming? What, 10 years or so? Yeah. Okay. Average, yeah. And 10 years of gaming, this woman comes up as her first major campaign idea a multi-genre, multi-planar dungeon crawl. I've been gaming for over 35 years, and it would have taken me probably 20 years to come up with that. Needless to say, I saluted her crisply. <laughs> and so we start planning this in January, not uh, so January, what, 2013? Because it was November 2012 when you came at me with the idea. Right. So January 2013, me, Ozji, and Laura all start up this campaign, and since we've had other people join, and some have left, and so... Yeah, there was just, it's just been a very intense campaign, and I wanted to share that with Gen Con, and when I finally told you that, I remember when I came over after I got the news, we double high five each other, and yeah, she was like, ow. (laughs) I think it was more me, because I, I didn't didn't realize, I I didn't, you know, high five to that hurt, Um, but I, I enjoy running the games at Gen Con because I, I try to describe it to my mundane coworkers because I, I, as I said, I'm my job's alpha geek. Imagine yourself, you're a minor league baseball player. And all of a sudden you get sent to Yankee stadium during the world series. And that was my first time, you know, when I ran the game last year, 2013, I mean, just going there in 2012 for the two days with uh, Amber Rowe, it, I was just overwhelmed just with the size and the length and the breadth of the con. And I'm more confident now. This is my second year running games there, third year at the con, but still just, it's a new experience every time just because you have different people, different circumstances, and just, wow. It's <laughs> it's it's a phenomenal experience running a game at Gen Con because you pretty much are in the show. There's not much a bigger, not much of a bigger arena than if you're a game master than running it at Gen Con, maybe just Con. Well, and there's a big, uh, a big bonus to it, which is, is that you know I don't know about you, but most of my players have been playing with me for years. Okay, so they've seen all my tricks, they've seen all my you know plays and things like that. They know your faults. Yeah, they know. They, they know it. They know my good parts, my bad parts. But you, when you go into Gen Con, you're usually getting a virgin table. Yeah. You know, figuratively and literally. <laughs> and you can just go to town. You can have a great, I mean, they don't know, you know, when you're pulling something, they don't know where you're pulling it from. They just, to them, it's just like you're golden. 
And as long as you don't drop the ball, as long as you just keep it going and, and keep moving, you know, like the improv rules, it works. They have a great time. They, they get their $4 worth and yeah. more, and they leave, you know, and you, uh, and you say, I hope you'll play some more TriTac games. Uh, you know, here's the contact information, and there's a good chance that they will, and that's what we want. I wish I had some swag that I could have given them, and that was my thing. I think I've run out. I'll have to talk to Rich about getting more for, you know, next time I run a game, because I also run games at MarsCon and at local, as I said, I'm in the Detroit area, so, like, what, Confusion and Penguin Con are the two cons I usually run games at? Yeah. The Guathrian Ambassadors campaign. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I have other little mini campaigns that I have at various cons. I mean, I, MarsCon, except for 2011, I've been running that one since 2009 once a year. So I need to get more swag from Rich to hand out, you know, for players to get information so they can look at the site and check out, you know, the podcast if they haven't heard it and, you know, the Facebook groups going and everything. So. Well, there's a certificate I give to the best player. You know, it's called Best Role Player. And it's a $25 gift certificate for one item on the website, which means they can buy anything that they want, one item, because there's nothing that costs more than $25, including shipping. So this, this way, it drives them to the site. They look at everything. And even if they didn't like... You know, they might see something they like that they didn't know we had that I didn't talk about. So I like doing that because it, it drives them that way. Now, uh, the rest of the players, I usually just hand out business cards and such. So I don't know if they're going to the site, but I know at least one out of the four to six players is, is going to visit that site. As I said, I'll probably need to talk to Rich again about various types of little swag. And I did get to talk to the player. The, the solo player during the Fringes of Galarian game or afterwards, because I ended about an hour early. And we started talking about various things about canon. And I mean, he listens to the podcast, he told me so. And just, there were still some things that, I mean, I didn't give any spoilers. It just happened to miss that episode. And he was like, oh, really? And I told him, I've been with the company now for 10 years and I'm still finding out new things. And I've been on the podcast for like, what's this podcast? Uh, I came halfway through season two. So we're talking three and a half years now. And so I'm still finding out new things. And to sit there and to get that look of wide-eyed wonder from a fan of the game, because they find out something totally new, that's another way to keep their interest. And for them to convey that same joy to others uh, about... Two months ago, I was talking to Gina here about, okay, you have all your campaigns plugged in and fringe-worthy. I got three campaigns, Space Chase, Escape from the Coptics, and Maze World. And I said, yeah, technically, the Coptics could come from Escape to the Coptics, deal with the people from Maze World, and the Maze World people may end up having to run to this world, which is part of the Space Chase campaign. And Gina's eyes got like saucers. Just, they were, and it hit her, the scope of fringe-worthy. And I remember telling you, that's how I, when it all clicked for me, <laughs> is same way. And just, oh, it was, it was a thing of beauty just seeing that look on the face because you realize you've got them hooked. They realize just the, the magnitude of scope that Fringeworthy has. Mm -hmm. And it is the game that binds all the rest of what I call the Tahulkaverse together. And it can bind the, the Hulk of anything together. Well, yeah, I mean, you could sit there, and, and we've said this before, and we just did an episode, our last episode we recorded was World of Darkness and Bureau 13. 
So you sit there and have your your wad campaign on one world, your well, let's see, pure Steam setting from a, but the pure Steam campaign setting on another, which is you know Steam tech fantasy nineteenth century entertainment. That's who does it. And you could sit there and have a normal your Pathfinder world on another campaign, and if you play it right, they could all meet. And just that scope, I try to convey that when I run a fringe-worthy game or even another game because, you know, I tell them, it's like, yeah, there's a fringe portal. You guys are just not going to be there or your characters aren't fringe-worthy. But if you see the portal, you'll know, okay, this is something unique. I might want to start running for the third game, maybe a Bureau 13 game because that's the other game I'm familiar with. Hardwired Hinterland, I've read it. I know it. It's just I'd have to prepare a lot more to actually start a campaign for Gen Con or whatever. But yeah, you I mean, you know, Bureau 13, that that was my baby. So it's like, yeah, I could run that. I just have to come up with an adventure. This is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there. So go explore them. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Yo, brothers, this was the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. You know the drill. It's protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial reproduction, no derivatives, and sucker, you best attribute this to the folks at TriTech Games. And if you don't, we'll be after your sorry butts, because we're some bad mothers. Hi, this is Trav of the Travcast, Hour 3 of Blind Wolf's Rubber Room Association on DementiaRadio.org, Tuesdays, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern.